Greetings. You have wandered upon Broomstay Witchery, a podcast that explores all things pagan. My name is Sabrin Whitethorn, and I'll be your guide. So grab yourself some tea and come talk a spell with me. I stopped into the thrift store yesterday to kill about an hour before the tattoo shop opened. I was on a mission to replace my no stud, which I'll come back to here in a bit. But while I was at the thrift store, I found a couple book series that I'm really excited about. Friends. Friends. Someone apparently knew I was popping into the thrift store yesterday because they rolled up in their car and donated their entire witchy mystery book collection. I got 16 books yesterday for a dollar each and was pumped. The first series I found was Juliet Blackwell's Witchcraft Mystery Series. Of the 11 books that are out, I snagged eight. Not a bad start. They advertise as being a blend of mystery, paranormal, and light humor. Uh, Hello. Yeah. Thank you. Those are my three favorite things. Mystery books, which in a series like this and mixed with light humor really turns them into a cozy mystery series. And I'm all kinds of on board with that. I love a good cozy mystery series. Just ask my bookshelves. Then I found a few books for two different Heather Blake series, Magic Potion Mystery Series and a Wishcraft Mystery. Hello, witchy cozy mystery series. I really don't know what else to say. I am practically hopping up and down in my seat while I'm telling you this. I can't wait to find the missing books that weren't there and start indulging in these. Just give me a rainy day and some tea and I will cozy up by the window with my witchy mystery and just blissfully waste a good day. This got me to thinking about other books I've read or intend to read and the fact that I've suggested a few books within this podcast, but really haven't gone into any depth about them. So, Broomies, book reviews. And that's what we're going to dive into today. First, I want to loop back and discuss my no stud, because it's really bothering me and you lucky folk get to be the ones I release this on. You're welcome. So it's been seven months since I got my nostril pierced, and this was something I wanted to do for about 25 years, friends. This was a huge deal for me. Getting this tiny stud punctured through my nose was a ridiculously life-changing and emotional moment for me. It meant so much to me and still does. I feel like I should explain that, so I'm going to get a little personal. As I said, I've wanted a nose piercing for about 25 years. It started back in junior high. We didn't have middle school when I was in school. We had junior high, which was grades 7, 8, and 9, and then high school was 10th grade sophomores, 11th grade juniors, and 12th grade seniors. So this would have been about age 15 and 9th grade, my last year of junior high. There was this kid in one of my classes named Tommy. He had dyed hair that was shaved on one side, and he wore flannel shirts unbuttoned over band shirts. So, you know, back in 1995... He was awesome. And I was so fascinated with him. And not in a crush kind of way, but in an envious, this kid must have the coolest life. His family must be so cool to let him dye his hair the way he wants and wear what he wants. And dear goddesses, he had a nose stud. And I immediately wanted one. Again, it had nothing to do with him as a person having something. So my need to run out and get one. I just knew 
the moment I saw his nose stud that I was going to have one someday. I just had a feeling that this was something I'd want and that that feeling was never going to go away. No stud aside, I was fascinated with this kid because he didn't seem to care what anyone else thought of him and he was so laid back. And basically all the things I wasn't. Of course, you never know what his life was like at home. Maybe his parents let him dye his hair and shave his hair and pierce his nose because they didn't care and he wanted their attention. And maybe his home life was really, really awful. I seriously hope not. But my point is that what was cool to me as a teenager may have been based on awful things for him. But still, I just thought he was the coolest. The kind of cool that would never have given me the time of day. I tried to talk to him about music a few times. Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Guns N' Roses, Pink Floyd, The Doors, Jimi Hendrix, The Smashing Pumpkins, Alice in Chains. These are the things he'd talk with me about briefly in that one class, but outside the class or when his friends were there or in the hallway after class? No. It was always one of two ways for me all through school. I was either bullied and mocked incessantly, or I didn't exist. There was just not an in-between for me. But that's not my point. This strong desire to have a no-stud did not go away. Over the years, as I started getting boyfriends and making new friends in high school, I still wanted this no-stud. I waited until I was 18 and I was going to get it, damn it. But someone was always there to talk me out of it. People I was in a relationship with would cringe or friends would talk me out of it. I'd listen to my parents tell me that I'd regret it. And in my heart, I knew I wouldn't. Then I got a little older. It was all about how no one would hire me if I had a no stud. And that's true. It was far less accepted back then. But the field of psychology, which is the field I went into, back then it was definitely seen as unprofessional. So I just never did it. And before I knew it, I was 30 and I thought, now I'm too old. And I let another 11 years go by with a desire in my heart, but my head telling me, you're too old. Then, last year, I went through this huge health journey. I lost 103 pounds and I changed everything for myself. The way I felt, my health, my life suddenly became less about all the things I want to do and never will because I can't to now I can do those things. I woke up at age 41 on a random day and said, I'm going to get my nostril pierced today. And I did. I went in and I just got it. This fantastic lady named Red at Classic 13 Tattoo in downtown Birmingham stuck a hollow needle through my nostril, plugged it with an opal stud, and told me to look at myself in a mirror. And when I looked in that mirror, friends, I teared up. I didn't cry, but I almost did. I felt more emotion in that moment than I have felt in a very, very long time. Because for the first time in my entire life... Between losing 103 pounds and finally being able to dress the way I always wanted to and look and feel the way I always wanted to, and this stupid little stud in my nose, I finally looked on the outside the way I felt on the inside. Now, I am not trying to body shame anyone. I was overweight most of my life, and I didn't feel like me because I lost weight 
It wasn't completely about how I looked. So before you feel like I'm being judgmental and should have loved myself even when I was bigger, let me say this. It was more about how I felt. And my weight issues came from a lifetime of not caring about myself because I went through an unspeakable number of horrific experiences throughout my life that led me to just not care. Most of my young adult life, I didn't want to be in this world. I was getting health issues at age 30. I was not in a good place mentally, physically, emotionally. This health journey wasn't just about weight loss. It was about me. Self-care, self-love, finding me, the real me, and being happy with who I am. And yes, my weight was a huge part of that. I wanted to feel healthy. I didn't want to bend over to tie my shoes or walk from the living room to the bathroom and feel like I just ran a marathon anymore. I just wanted to feel good. I wanted to be able to do all the things I've always wanted to do. And yes, having a stupid stud in my nose was just one of those things. Because I was right. That desire never went away. 15-year-old Bren was screaming at me on the inside. Do it. Do it. And the moment I did, I felt like me. 10 minutes in and out, and my life changed in a huge way over something very, very small, and to most people, probably insignificant. But remember what I said. This life is the only one we have right now. I no longer cared how old I was. I no longer cared that I was 41 and too old to get a piercing. Now it was... I'm 41 years old, and for the first time in my life, I feel good, and I feel happy, and I feel healthy, and life is short, and I'm going to do me. And I don't have a fuck to give for anyone in my life at this point who would try to talk me out of a simple happiness. So fast forward to yesterday. After waiting seven months for my piercing to heal and to find the right studs I wanted, I bought two yesterday, and I was so excited. I got home and raced to the bathroom, and I took out my nose stud, which was very difficult to get out. It hurt, and it made my nose swell up. It got all gross and bumpy around the piercing, like what a blood blister would look like, that kind of puffy. I tried to get the new piercing in, and I couldn't. At the time, I was listening to a voice message from someone very important to me, and I just had this horrible moment of panic. My nose was bleeding, it was swollen and hurt, and I couldn't find the hole from the inside to push the new stud through. I couldn't hold it straight, I kept dropping it or getting it stuck somewhere in my nose, and it was awful. I had this moment of anxiety where I thought, oh my god, the hole's going to close up, or I won't be able to get a new stud back in, or I'll tear the hole and mess it up. And it caused a huge issue with this person I was communicating with at the time because I was in panic mode thinking I just really messed up my piercing and frustration that I clearly am not smart enough to be able to change out my own damn piercing. So I was texting comments about that and it was understandably seen as comments about the voice message that they had just sent me and I was trying to listen to it at the time and I just had a meltdown, a horrible, horrible meltdown. And when I have a meltdown, it starts to be about so much more than just one little moment in the day. Every single bad feeling or thought or stress or inconsistency in my life just gets poured out in that moment and builds into this horrible floodgate of emotion. In summary, I did not have a good afternoon. I tried again this morning, 
same thing happened. Not the meltdown, thankfully, but I made my nose swollen and I couldn't get the new stud in, even when I was calmer and more logical about it. So I put in my old stud and I'm going to wait a few days for the swelling to calm down and then I'm going to tuck my tail between my legs and be that person and run to the tattoo place and ask them to change it for me because I just don't need the stress. So now that I've talked to you about my witchy cozy mystery finds at the thrift store and my nostril piercing and my meltdown yesterday and that one kid in junior high I thought was so cool, maybe I can hunker down and get back to the point of this podcast which is paganism. And today is a book review. Before I begin, here's how my book reviews will work within this podcast. My ratings will be the standard Goodreads five stars. Five, loved it. Four, really liked it. Three, liked it. Two, it was okay. And one, didn't like it. However, in order to determine what to rate each book, I've broken my ratings down into five categories. Audience, content, engagement, writing, and put forward. Audience is simple. Is the book well written for its intended audience? If a book boasts that it's for further education, but it's all beginner concepts, I probably won't rate it as high as a book that is meant for and written specifically for beginners. Likewise, I'm not going to compare a pagan-themed romance or cozy mystery to an educational handbook for astrology. These are completely different genres and should be rated accordingly. So was the book written well for its intended audience? Content. This could include research versus opinion and takeaways from the content. So what did I walk away with that I didn't have or thought differently about when I started? information that I felt was missing or helpful. So did the book deliver what it advertised and in what ways did it give back to me? Engagement. Did it entertain me? Did it hold my interest? Did I feel like reading was a chore? Was it difficult to get through? If I fall asleep or have to put it down and take breaks and not really want to pick it back up, I'm probably not going to rate it well in this category. Writing. Were there excessive mistakes that took me out of the book? Was the grammar atrocious? Did the organization of this book make my order muppet happy or cause me to feel too much chaos? And what is the overall tone and voice of the book? Was it well written in general? And last, put forward. Would I read this book again? Would I suggest it to others, either for entertainment or as a good resource? Again, depending on the genre of book. Would I use it in my own research within the podcast or within my own practice in a positive way? Would I consider this book useful to others? Will it stay on my shelf or go in a donate bin? I discussed this book very briefly when I used it for my Pagan Spotlight back at the beginning of Season 2 with the introductory to Runes episode. But now I'd like to go into this book in more depth and offer my thoughts about it. This is Orion Plain and Simple, Runes, by Kim Farnell. Orion Plain and Simple is an entire book series that dives into concepts within paganism. They're written as, essentially, guidebooks, each with different authors who are knowledgeable about that particular subject. 
There are now about 33 of these books, and they range in every subject from runes to body reading and so many things in between. Eventually, I'd love to have them all as a full series in my pagan literary arsenal, as well as review them all for you. But this is the first and only of this series that I have so far, or that I've read so far. But if this book is any indicator of how the rest of the series is, I will definitely be gathering the rest. I bought this book at the same pagan shop I bought my rune set from. I've since seen this book on the shelves of most pagan shops near the runes, and it always makes me smile because I like knowing when a good resource is available to the masses. I chose it at the time from, I believe, about three others on the shelf, because when I flipped through it, it was the best organized and seemed to cover the things I most wanted to know. The order Muppet in me was very pleased with the layout of this book, and so it went home with me. Orion Plain and Simple Runes by Kim Farnell was published in 2006. The edition I have was published in 2016 or 2017. I believe copyright was 2016 and publication was 2017. The cover is quite beautiful and simplistic, as all of the Orion Plain and Simple books are. A single bright color on the top half of the book that darkens into black for the bottom half shows stars and starbursts and a simple illustration of runic symbols and the name of the book, Runes, in standard script on the front. This series is small and light and would look beautiful on a bookshelf. The back cover says the following. For thousands of years, runic symbols have been used for both communication and divination. When we understand the history and significance of the runes, we too can draw upon their power and gain valuable glimpses of the future. This accessible and practical guide includes the meaning of each rune, interpreting the A-tier, rune spreads, and rune magic. It's the only book on runes you'll ever need. There are so many resources out there written about runes, as these symbols have been used for communication and divination for thousands of years. But unfortunately, not all resources are written by knowledgeable individuals, nor are they always adequately researched. That is not the case with this particular book. This book is exactly what it advertises itself to be. It's a good resource for learning the history of runic symbols and basic information about rune casting. She begins by introducing the origins of runes, their history, their mythology, the people and beliefs behind them, how they're used to communicate. It's a very thorough 20 pages, and I got quite a lot out of it. In the next section, Farnell discusses making your own runes, what materials to use, how to mark them, and with what, and even dives into consecrating them. One thing I really loved about this section was that she didn't just state that you can make them out of wood. She actually goes into detail about various types of wood, their grain, what their associations and uses are, and part of their mythology. This was something I was not expecting to find within this book, and I really appreciated it. Next, we see visuals of each rune separated into their three A-tier, and then a detailed section for each set of eight. She breaks down each rune with a brief origin, positive interpretation, negative or reverse interpretation, and magical uses. Farnell has presented the A-tier of the Futhark runic alphabet in a simplified way that is easy to understand, just as the title suggests. 
And the origins and magical uses of each rune is also very insightful and gives you a deeper understanding of how each particular symbol can be utilized. Due to this simplification, some of the names of the runes were spelled differently than I've come to know them, and some of the meanings were slightly different from what I'm used to seeing. However, there are many interpretations out there, as this is an ancient form of writing that goes back to the Bronze Age and Viking or pre-Columbus times, so no two resources will be exact. I did not like the inclusion of the blank rune, as it was added in the 1980s and is not a runic symbol. But I did appreciate that the author stated that it is not traditionally used. After the A tier, Farnell discusses reading runes, how to put the person you're reading for at ease, how to prepare yourself for a reading, and how to cast the runes. Then she talks about rune spreads, and offers a variety of layouts from three runes being used to eleven runes being used. The last section of the book is rune magic which touches upon numerology, charms, bind runes, or runes that are combined to increase their magical power. Perhaps my favorite aspect of Farnell's rune book is the charts in the back, which include magical correspondences between each rune and god, colors, stones, trees, flowers, herbs, astrology, and tarot. I absolutely loved this chart so much that I incorporated it into my own Book of Shadows for future reference. She also discusses associated initials, names, and pronunciations for each rune, and offers a fantastic chart for the runic calendar and clock, associating dates and hours of the day with each rune. So now that I've told you a little bit about the book, here's my rating. For audience, I rated this book five stars. The book is meant as an introduction to runes, but is so much more. It's actually a resource, as advertised, and it's laid out in a way that is simplistic and easy to follow. It's a very thorough and decent beginning source for runes. For content, I gave this book five stars. There was nothing I felt was missing from this book, and in fact, was surprised at the added information that I wasn't expecting, such as the different types of wood you can use and their associations, the advice on making and marking runes, as well as the charts on the back of the book. The only thing that may have tarnished this five for me would have been if the blank rune had been overly focused on, but it was not. It was mentioned as it should always be, as there are those who use it, but I personally feel there's a responsibility to explain why this rune piece is not traditionally used, and the fact that this blank piece is not an actual rune. Farnell did mention that it's not traditionally used, and there was not enough focus put on the blank piece for it to hurt my solid five stars here. For engagement, I rated this book five stars. This was a very quick read, and was focused enough that I didn't feel the need to take breaks. There was no time when I felt like I might fall asleep from boredom, and even when the distractions from life popped up where I had to set the book down, I was immediately able to come back to it without feeling lost or like maybe I didn't really want to read it right now. For a book on runes, it's perfectly engaging. For writing, I rated five stars. 
I found no mistakes, and if there were any, it certainly didn't pull me out of the book or take away from the information within it. And my grammar police siren never engaged at any point. But more than that, the overall tone of the book is just that it's well-written and well-organized. I had no complaints here. In fact, quite the opposite. And last, for put forward, I gave five stars. I would suggest this book for even those who have experience with runes for the correspondences and origin aspects of her research. I actually walked away from this book with knowledge that I didn't have before. And this is why I mentioned in my very first episode that I will always read any book I could get my hands on within paganism, even books meant for beginners, because I will always learn something from someone else's interpretation, opinion, and research. This book is a great example of that. This will always be one of the first books I suggest for anyone who asks me for more information about runes or who wants to begin their research on their own. Do I think this is the end-all be-all and only resource one should ever have? No, of course not. But it's sure one of them. I'll never part with this book. It will remain on my shelf. With all five categories being solid five stars, that makes my overall rating a very solid five stars. Kim Farnell's Runes from the Orion Plain and Simple series can be purchased directly from www.orionbooks.co.uk or can be found in the divination section of most pagan shops, or likewise, check the New Age section of your local bookstore. You can find used copies through Amazon or sites like Better World Books. I hope you enjoyed this first of many book reviews within this podcast. And if you have suggestions for other books you'd like to hear about, please let me know via our Facebook and Instagram communities, or throw me an email at broomstavewitchery at gmail.com. Also, I did start a Goodreads account specifically for pagan books that I'll be reading and reviewing. You can find me by my name, Sabrin Whitethorn, or by going to goodreads.com backslash broomstavewitchery. I'd love to follow you and see what you're reading too. Thanks for listening and happy reading, broomies. Go forth and fill those beautiful wrinkly brains with juicy pagan tidbits of entertainment and knowledge. Until next week. Thank you for conjuring up some time to spend with me today. And until next time, broomies, remember, don't drink and fly. And now in great personal pain, Editor Smooge presents... But really haven't gone into much depth about them. I forgot to put my fucking phone on silent. I forgot to put my fucking phone on fucking silent. I'm an idiot. Editor Smooge. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> um,